Hi, I'm Caitlin Prest, and I am here in your ear to tell you about a very incredible new show called Asking For It. Asking For It is a darkly comedic series that follows a queer femme singer whose history of violence finds her no matter how many times she runs away. It has an original soundtrack, and it'll make you laugh, cry, and feel a little bit less alone. Asking for it. Subscribe now. This is a CBC Podcast. In the Upper East End of Toronto, there's a cluster of high-rises. You'll find cheaper rents here around $1,500 a month for a two-bedroom apartment. That's really good for Toronto. Whenever you ask anyone why they moved here or what's so great about the area, they always mention the park. There's Dentonia Park. It sits in front of all the buildings. It's where all the school kids play, and it's just always the most beautiful view of all the children or dog walking or the snow. Small working-class, like, immigrant community, basically. That's Carly Tisdall. She lives in the Goodwood Park apartment complex. Carly says there's around 600 units altogether. A lot of people. But it still feels like a close community. There's almost always a bunch of older gentlemen who sit outside the building every morning and talk and have their coffee. People say hi to each other. Most people say hi to the supers, know them by their first names. Like it's a, it is like a nice little community feel in the building, I would say. But since COVID, this community has drawn even closer. The simple passing connection of people in the hallways has turned into solid relationships that many are relying on to put one foot in front of the other in the face of pandemic uncertainty. COVID has taken a deep toll in this area. Rates of infection are among the highest in Toronto. Many residents do frontline work and then come home to their busy high-rises. There are also lots of people who work in the service industry, hotels, restaurants. And that means when the economy gets shut down, Paychecks stop coming in, too. And that's left many in Goodwood Park and the surrounding area wondering, how are they going to pay their rent? And who should be helping them? I'm Julia Poggle, and this is The Doc Project. AC Rowe is off this week. Today, we follow a group of tenants as they try and find an answer to that question, what to do about rent and propose a solution that might have sounded ludicrous to them a year ago. A solution that highlights the deep divide between some landlord companies who run a business renting out apartments across Toronto and the people who are fighting to stay living in them. Every business take the heat of this COVID virus pandemic. Why in this crucial time when people are dying why you are trying to make 100% profit? You are still, you are, if you gave us 30% rent relief or 40% relief, still you are making profit. So it, it came in our mind over and over, you know. Take the hit, be a human.
But before we get there, let's go back to the beginning. Back to Carly, inside her bachelor apartment overlooking Dentonia Park. It's winter, March of 2020, the start of this pandemic. Professional sports leagues are suspending their seasons, the Juno Awards have been cancelled, and even the Prime Minister and his wife are in self-isolation. Announcements around COVID-19 are streaming in what feels like minute by minute. Social distancing is now being prioritized by health officials across this country. I think, you know, like most people, my very first concern was... Um, I'm an actor, I'm an artist, it's all freelance, no benefits, no agency, anything like that. So um, in that moment, I was just very frightened because, you know, an optimistic part of me wanted to say, okay, maybe it'll just be over in a month, then everything will go back to normal and I can just, you know, put these jobs on hold. As we all know, it didn't work out that way. But then what I was realizing when I was going through my apartment, you know, trying not to go beyond the front door of my apartment, you right into people doing laundry or taking out the garbage and we all be in our masks and everybody was so frightened like we didn't quite know how the virus was transmitting so we were sort of nervous about meeting each other but we'd start to talk and, and sort of ask what's going on with you through these hallway connections a group started to form just neighbors looking out for each other i think that at first it was you know it was a whatsapp chat with people back and forth either sort of discussing like where you, you can find hand sanitizer still in stock at the local convenience store, but also a suggestion around, like we would have Zoom meetings where initially it was just speaking about, you know, a general sense of how are people doing. Um, people were getting laid off just left, right and center, or people were getting told it was temporary leave, um, which then in a couple of months would just turn to actual layoffs. In March 15, I got laid off. This is Zinat. First name is Zinat. Last name, Jahan. And when COVID hit, Zinat started chatting with her neighbors too. She lives about five minutes from Carly in a different apartment complex called Crescent Town. It's a grouping of three buildings. Two are 29 floors and one is 12. Huge building. In each floor, there's 21 units. Yeah, huge people is coming out and in. The buildings are busy. Just waiting for an elevator can take some time, especially when only two of the four are working on most days. Sometimes I took photos of that, you know, oh my God, it's long queue. She moved here in 2017 with her husband from Bangladesh, started to settle into a life. They got jobs. They'd go for walks in the nearby park when they could. But then... January, I lost my husband back to back too disaster, you know, lost my husband and, you know, let me, the main house uh, income just stopped right away. January 2020, just before the pandemic took hold, he died of cancer. Zenat worked part-time at McDonald's, the night shift. But after my husband's uh, death, I requested for the full-time uh, because I know uh, I have to run my life. Then the pandemic hit. And she got laid off. So she dipped into their savings. But soon that was gone too. And she wasn't just worried about herself. Zinat's two daughters were still in Bangladesh, living with her mother. So there is another expense that I cannot avoid. Or whatever uh, going on me, it doesn't matter, but I can stop sending for them. I don't know what to do. Wait to resource suffocated. I, uh, I was uh, in panic. 
don't know what to do uh where to go how to solve this because uh, i have to pay rent like uh, after his death in february march i paid rent still on time but after that i couldn't uh i didn't have any money to pay the rent so zinat was laid off in march and didn't know when or if she'd go back to work all the while april 1st crept closer when rent was due around the corner in goodwood park carly was staring down the beginning of the month too also with no paycheck coming in different plans for what she might do turned over and over in her head like perhaps if i had just sort of you know completely cut down as many other bills as possible and sacrificed you know a couple evenings of food yeah maybe i could have somehow kept the money together and paid my rent but at that time we had no idea where this this was going it just felt like from a realistic financial perspective in this situation i would rather have it out with my landlord about paying the rent than be looking at a 0 dollar bank account in the middle of this crisis like it just seemed more logical to when i could not really fully pay the rent hold on to some of it to ensure i had savings like i dipped into those in that sense those were gone um you know at the end of the day i understand that perspective you say why can't you just go and get help and i saw tons of my neighbors do that they would lean on the great aunt lucy or the parents back home or the ex-husband or whoever could help them out with money and then two months down the line they would be right back in the same position so she stopped paying her rent it was scary but she just kept saying to herself i need to hold on to my rent right now because i can't pay it i know my landlord's angry at me but it's going to be fine because at some point some level of government is going to say rent relief or they're going to say you can't evict people for covid arrears ever. There's going to be some logical next step from the provincial or federal level that says we recognize that renters are in a crisis and we're here to help them. Instead, it has never come. Never anything that made Carly feel like her home wasn't under threat. Here's what the government did do pretty early on in the pandemic. from the federal government we're all well familiar with the Canadian emergency response benefit or serb by now it's around $2000 a month per person minus taxes according to the city of toronto the average rent for a two bedroom apartment is about $1600 carly pays 1300 for her bachelor apartment yeah well i mean so like i mean serb yes okay sure covers my rent but then i have groceries phone bills for just whatever that heck else happens um in the middle of this pandemic my wisdom teeth decide to start coming through which is delightful and perfectly timed um it's like there's just things that come up as for the province of ontario they put in place an eviction moratorium it started march 17 2020 The moratorium meant that the landlord and tenant board or LTB was shut down. The LTB is where disputes between landlords and tenants are heard and an adjudicator decides on a way forward. Also, no evictions could be enforced during the moratorium. 
That meant if you stopped paying your rent, you couldn't be evicted for that during the moratorium. But that didn't mean the rent you owed disappeared. You would still be on the hook for this money at some point later down the line. The province encouraged landlords to be flexible and work out plans with their tenants to change how they might be collecting rent. But how that looked varied from apartment to apartment. Carly tells me she got an email from her landlord, Rene Management, in April, encouraging tenants to access subsidies that existed so they could pay their rent. The letter also said, we'll be dealing with tenants on a case-by-case basis. Not all situations will be the same from one tenant to the next. The letter continues, please do not presume to skip rent without communicating clearly with your property manager first. But Carly says that communication wasn't going well, particularly when she brought up the idea that maybe they could consider not collecting rent during this period when so many were out of work. When people started phoning the property manager in March to basically ask, like, hey, I'm struggling with rent. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, my family, we need to you know, feed the children with groceries first before we can pay our rent, please. What can we do? And the reports back were either that the phone was not getting picked up, messages were going unanswered, the property manager did pick up. Um, he had such a posture of like disdain. He could say something like, what, do you want to cancel your housing? Do you think you can just walk into a grocery store and ask for free groceries? I asked Rene management about this incident, and they did not respond to my request. Though other tenants in Carly's building confirmed they had similar interactions. Over at Zenat's building, she and a few others also approached management directly to see what they could come up with. So we will discuss our situation, describe our situation, and we will ask for uh, any some kind of rent reduction. Then we visited to the management, uh, property manager. She was saying, why you are here is not our concern. And then in April, one month after the eviction moratorium was put in place. Then the uh, property manager, she came to my door. It was uh, 25th, but on that day, in same day, she visited so many doors so with a debit machine, asking for uh, CRB money, asking for pay with the credit card. Zenat did not pay. She had nothing in the bank and refused to put it on her credit card. When I asked Pinedale about this, they said bringing a debit machine around was regular procedure, and residents have used this method to pay their rent in the past. Over in Goodwood, Carly says things were getting tense, too. Like April the 1st, uh, a neighbor of mine literally like stuck a letter on the front door of the management office saying, we can't pay our rent, we are keeping our rent, we're tenants at Goodwood Park, and we're asking you to negotiate with us. Now, this idea of negotiation, it's a tricky one. Carly's landlord, Rene Management, and Zenat's Pinedale Properties, both said that they were willing to talk and negotiate. When I asked Pinedale about this in an email, they told me, from the beginning of the pandemic, we've sent multiple communications to Crescent Town residents, asking that if they're experiencing financial difficulties, to come speak with us. 
So it seems landlords were willing to talk, but just not about the kind of things tenants wanted to talk about. Rent relief, rent reduction, no evictions for those who couldn't pay their rent during COVID. The thing that Rene and Pinedale did want to talk about were repayment plans. A plan that would keep track of the rent you missed and tack it onto your rent later on. This was also something encouraged by the province from the start of the pandemic. But some tenants, like Carly and Zenat, they wanted their landlords to go further, to consider forgiving rent or reducing rent during a time when people were out of work because of COVID-19. Another fundamental roadblock in these negotiations appeared to be the fact that these tenants wanted to talk to their landlord as a group. They felt like the power imbalance between a single tenant and the legal team of their landlord wasn't fair. But these two landlords wanted individual negotiations. Each tenant situation is different, so collective negotiation wasn't on the table. So, for those tenants who were not signing on to repayment plans and could not pay their rent, the notices threatening eviction started to arrive on their doorsteps. You had about a month, and then May, they had issued the N4. Two months into the pandemic, one month into the eviction moratorium, Carly received a notice from her landlord saying she needed to pay her rent or potentially be evicted. It's called an N4 notice. If she didn't pay her rent, she would be taken to the landlord tenant board and the adjudicator would decide if she could stay in her home. Over in Crescent Town, Zenot got the same notice at the beginning of May, starting the eviction process. I got in for uh, May, uh, I said either 4th of May or 5th of May. My last uh, payment was March. But remember, the landlord-tenant board was closed for most cases because of the eviction moratorium. These notices were placed in a queue, for when the LTB opened up again. Zenit and Carly were scared that when the LTB was open, their evictions might be enforced, all while the pandemic rages on. And that just seemed wrong to them and unsafe. The Center for Disease Control raised the alarm on evictions during COVID in September of 2020, saying there was a greater risk of COVID spread if people were evicted, forced to bunk in with friends or into shelters, or onto the street. And the same has been noted by medical professionals in Canada. I asked Pinedale about why they were handing out eviction notices. And in an email, they told me, the reality is simply that for some small number of residents, it sometimes takes finally a case to focus their attention on addressing their outstanding rent. But for people like Carly and Zenat, who did not come to an agreement with their landlords, they turned to their neighbors for support. Many people got frightened and they are feeling pressure on that, you know. Our lives be uh, turned upside down. So we know that together we are uh, stronger. As a group, they might have more power. Then we formed the union, okay. And the Crescent Town Tenants Union began to take shape. We will, whatever we will do, we will do together. We will support each other, defend each other, no matter what. Over in Goodwood Park, hallway conversations with worried neighbors were turning into something more organized, too. 
That WhatsApp chat changed from, how are you doing, to... What can we do? Like, in this moment of incredible crisis, basically all been thrown together and we're like, uh, we're the only ones who seem to care about our situation right now. And they weren't alone. All around the city, groups of tenants were coming together. People who had been talking in hallways, meeting outside buildings. How are you doing? Do you need help? Turning into... How are we going to survive this as a group? What can we do together? And forming tenant unions. The idea of a tenant union isn't new, but according to people like Jordi Dent from the Federation of Metro Tenants Associations, after COVID hit, there was a growth in the number of people connecting with him, asking for advice on how to form a tenant association or union in their building. Yes, there's definitely been kind of um, a double amp up or a kind of a, an exponential growth in kind of tenant organizing. Um, you know, when COVID hit, the calls never stopped on our hotline. And they basically went from what's normally like 100 different topics to basically three. Um, tenants not being able to pay rents. Tenants facing like just horrible harassment from the landlord for that. All kinds of threats. Uh, and then major issues around building cleaning. And some already existing tenants unions clicked into overdrive. People like Chiara Podvani. She helped organize and support tenants in her Toronto neighborhood of York Southwestern. Just before COVID hit, different building associations came together in a church basement to officially form the York Southwestern Tenants Union. And it was a really, it was a really exciting time. It was great. Everybody was ready to take action you know, organize tenant power in a way that uh, could no longer be ignored. They now have monthly meetings to share how different buildings in the area are faring and problem solve any issues they might be having. These unions are meant to support people who might not know what to do if they receive an eviction order. I was told by many tenant advocates that a lot of people, when they receive an eviction notice, don't know what's going on. Some think they have to move out right then and there, not realizing they have a chance to argue their case at the LTB. Tenants like Carly and Zenat hope that if they work in a group and pressure the landlord together, there's more of a chance of getting what they want. One of their tactics was bringing their struggle to their landlord's doorstep. We are asking for rent relief. Shame, shame. I didn't. I don't think it really became like a proper uh, "we're a union" um, feeling until we visited uh, one of the owners of Rene Management, Ben Friedman's house. And so there was this sense of like, if you're threatening where I live, then why don't I go to you and put this sort of this on? your front lawn, so to speak, and say, hey, you have to deal with us. We're not taking no for an answer. You need to negotiate with us. You need to work this crisis out. That was when I saw people go from being, I'm frightened, I'm scared, I'm terrified of trying to work with my landlord around the question of, like, I can't pay my rent, what do I do? I'm, I'm just so scared of this. That felt like the moment where a lot of people who had been used to kind of keeping their head down and just getting through the tough times said, no, I've had enough. I'm going to stand up with my fellow neighbors. 
These are people who have never been involved in like political, you know, canvassing or, you know, volunteered for a campaign or something like that. They have no familiarity with doing this stuff. And neither did Carly. No, I have never in a million years done anything like this before. But I had never been in a situation where I felt like I'm pushed to the wall. I don't know what to do here. And, and beyond that, I've got all my neighbors in the same situation. I've got all my neighbors' neighbors in the same situation. Like, this is madness. You know, it's not like it was the first time that the housing crisis came up or that this was like all news to people that, you know, rent was not affordable in Toronto. But this was like, you have pushed me to the edge of the cliff and I either fall off or I turn around and fight. The protest continued all summer long. At the mayor's home, in the streets. And during the summer, if you remember, there was a shimmer of optimism. COVID numbers were down. Some of the restrictions were lifted. Zenot got some hours at McDonald's. Carly picked up a few acting gigs. Though the months of unpaid rent and what might happen was still weighing on them. End of the moratorium and the eventual sort of move into the landlord-tenant board was on everybody's minds. And then in August, the eviction moratorium was lifted, which meant evictions could be enforced. And the landlord-tenant board was going to reopen. All those N4 notices that landlords had handed out would begin to be processed including Zenat and Carly's. Zenat and Carly both had landlord-tenant board hearings in November. And at that hearing, they were going to ask for rent relief. It was a long shot, but they had their union backing them up. And through their union, they'd gained access to a lawyer, Seema Atri. My name's Seema Atri. I'm a lawyer at the Community Justice Collective and one of the co-directors of the collective. We started the Legal Collective to provide uh, legal support for organized communities, um, communities that are uh, working together to support each other, uh, who are looking to be able to use the law as a tool in their own organizing um, and in their own uh, self-defense as a community. Supporting communities through a housing crisis was something Seema had done before. In 2008, she worked with communities who were losing their homes because of the housing market crash. I actually started that back in law school when I went to law school in the U.S. Um, And many communities there were organizing to try to save their homes against, at that point, big banks that were trying to evict people and take their homes back if they weren't able to afford their mortgages. And now Seema was in Toronto, working with these renters' unions, who faced the threat of losing their homes because they couldn't pay their rent due to COVID. By mid-November, the eviction cases that occurred during COVID were coming up. We saw 150 eviction hearings out of East York. Um, We represented uh, around 40 tenants um, who were members of tenant unions facing evictions. According to the LTB, Carly and Zenat's hearings were part of about 5,900 other eviction-related hearings in November alone. That was up by about 1,000 hearings from the previous November, though the numbers in September-October were significantly down from the previous year. The 40 cases SEMA was representing were a combination of cases from the Rene Management Buildings and Pinedale Property Buildings, Carly and Zenat's landlords. According to SEMA and other advocates for tenants, it wasn't just filing for an eviction during COVID that was unjust, but the way the hearings were being conducted. Due to COVID, hearings are online, and I sat in on some of them. 
Most hearings I saw had some level of technical issues, bad connections, difficulty logging on, people leaving their mics on and making lunch, loudly. Also, not everyone had the technology now needed to even plead their case. According to many legal clinics in Toronto and the Federation of Metro Tenants Associations, the lack of access to quality internet and computers, phones, was a huge inequity issue. According to the Landlord-Tenant Board, some changes since I started reporting this story have improved the online format. As of February 1st, people who don't have access to a phone or computer can be accommodated at the Hearing Centre in Toronto. But as I watched, some hearings went along just fine. A person showing up on time, saying they're now able to pay their rent, the landlord agrees, next case. But then there were the hearings that would descend into total chaos. People from tenant unions could log on to the hearings and make their voices heard. And flustered adjudicators were left scrambling to try and create order. A hearing might descend into calls for, be a human, stop evicting people in a pandemic. At one point, someone just started playing some rap music and the whole hearing had to be adjourned because they couldn't figure out where it was coming from. Adjudicators were supposed to be trying to balance the expectation that COVID be taken into consideration when making a decision with the regular protocol of how and why someone might be evicted. It all looked pretty messy. I'm not allowed to share the recordings of the hearings I sat in on, but I wanted to talk about one of them specifically because it shows why some tenants are so hesitant to sign on to repayment plans. It's the hearing of a man named Mohammed Kadir. He just goes by Kadir. He's a member of the Crescent Town Tenants Union, the same one as Zinat. It's December 11th, 2020. Seema's trying to get Kadir's hearing postponed because he couldn't be there that day. Kadir isn't at the hearing because his wife's in the hospital. She just had a baby, three weeks early. The adjudicator asks how negotiations for a repayment plan were going. The legal rep for Pinedale says they've made multiple offers for a repayment plan, but they haven't had any proposal from Kadir. Seema jumps in and says they have made multiple offers to Pinedale, but Kadir won't sign on to anything with a Section 78. Okay, I need to take a minute here to tell you about Section 78 and why many tenants like Kadir, but also Carly and Zenat, wouldn't sign on to a repayment plan, largely because of Section 78. Section 78 means that if you do sign on to a repayment plan and you can't meet your repayments or you're late, you could be evicted from your home without an eviction hearing. That's a big deal for many people like Kadir, Carly and Zenat because they don't know when they'll go back to work or if they'll get laid off again after setting up the repayment plan. Sure, there was part-time work in the summer, but what about the fall and winter? Eventually, because Kadir wasn't there, the adjudicator agreed the hearing should be adjourned for an unknown future date. I called Kadir up a few days after his hearing. Well, uh, first of all, my, uh, my baby, my wife, had an early birth for the kids, mm-hmm. 22 days earlier. We went to the hospital, and within half an hour, we have we a kid. 
This new baby was his third child, and Kadir had been rushing back and forth to the hospital to be with his wife and then at home with his older kids. I was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for five days. So I told Rose when I called him, Kadir and his family were all back in their apartment for now. But still, he couldn't pay his full rent. I cannot afford it, uh, to be honest with you. With that situation, how can I afford it? So why can't Kadir pay his rent? He says it's because he can't work. He used to drive for the TTC Wheeltrans, accessible buses for people with disabilities. But a few years ago, he came down with a lung condition, which made it unsafe for him to work. He's now on government support. But with three kids, his expenses are high. I need to have a milk and this is cost money. And your brother was helping you with rent, right? Always. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one who brought me here. His brother worked on the ferry boats for the Toronto Islands. They used to all go over there and picnic together in the summer. And because of Kadir's health issues and being out of work, his older brother would help him with rent when Kadir needed it. But in March of 2020, his older brother got COVID and died. Since then, Kadir and his family have fallen short on rent every month. Most, uh, most uh, important person for my family is die, pass away. So for me, my best support I get from there, even anytime, anytime, anywhere, I can get support. This is my last, this is my best hope I lost. It. Yeah. It's tough. As he waits for his hearing date, he continues to get notice on his door that he needs to pay his rent. Like for me, it's embarrassing. You're saying that you're, it's embarrassing to get a note on your door to pay your rent. Yeah. And do your neighbors, so your neighbors know, are they, are they able to help you out at all? Or is that not something you'd ever ask no, for? No, I'm not going to ask for them to help, no. There is good people, I know them, but they don't, they don't have a limited income. I don't ask for them. That's all, that's all I have to say to you. When we hung up that day, Kadir didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't have a new hearing date. And he still didn't want to sign on to a repayment plan he wasn't sure he could maintain. I said I'd call back in a few weeks to see how he was and if anything had changed. I didn't see Carly and Zenat's hearings, but they tell me they came ready with their lawyer, Seema, and a large pile of evidence and expert witnesses hoping to prove it was essential they were given forgiveness for some of their rent arrears. Yeah, we were ready to fight. We were uh, well prepared. I was so excited. People from tenant unions and advocacy groups around the city tuned in, waiting to see how these arguments for rent relief were received. Because everyone is uh, curious. But they didn't get any answers that day. So they were adjourned by the court. Um, they were rescheduled to a later date, and only only one hearing was completed. Seema says these rent arrears hearings were being pushed through very quickly. And if anyone came with any sort of detailed argument, they were adjourned. So Zenat and Carly wait, waiting to see if they'll get to stay in their homes. So, I mean, I think that going forward, what my neighbors and I are trying to do is just to continue to push that we know that rent relief is the way out. We think that landlords know that that rent relief is the way out. We think the government does too.
Coming up, we see if Carly's request that landlords take on some of the burden of unpaid rent is possible. Hi, I'm Caitlin Prest, and I am here in your ear to tell you about a very incredible new show called Asking For It. Asking For It is a darkly comedic series that follows a queer femme singer whose history of violence finds her no matter how many times she runs away. It has an original soundtrack, and it'll make you laugh, cry, and feel a little bit less alone. Asking for it. Subscribe now. So, rent relief. One of the major things that Zenat Carly and Kadir are pushing for. Forgiveness for the rent they owe in this extraordinary time. And yeah, they know that they're asking for something special. Something totally out of the framework of how profit-driven businesses work. But they think extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures. What it feels like, you know, sitting in Goodwood Park with the rest of my neighbors, the question we're constantly asking is, why is it that every other business has to suffer during this except the landlord? I have to take a job loss, a pay cut, hours cut. Other industries have to close, they have to shut down, they have to accept losses. But my landlord is still expecting the exact same amount of rent, the exact same profit on their investment as any other time. And at a certain point, you start to feel like, why is all of this, the fallout from this crisis being downloaded onto me, the littlest guy in the equation here? big question is, could rent relief happen? Is it realistic? Is it fair? Many landlords say they're struggling through COVID too. There are many stories of smaller landlords fearing for their survival when their tenants stop paying. They rely on income from their properties to pay their own rents and mortgages, buy food. But Pinedale and Rane, these are not small companies. They own massive apartment buildings across Toronto. Buildings with hundreds of units, many of which, as Pinedale says itself, have been paying their rent. Since Pinedale and Rane did not give me an interview, I asked them in an email about the possibility of rent relief. They did not respond to that part of my question. But other landlords are doing things differently. At a York Southwestern Tenant Unions meeting, a union member talked about how through a rent strike, her whole building pressured their landlord to offer periods of total rent abatement, meaning no rent at all for those who applied. In BC, until August, tenants could apply for $500 a month in rent relief, and that would go directly to their landlords. I called many large landlords in Toronto to see if they could take part in this story, but no one responded to my emails or calls. So I reached out to Tony Irwin, who's the president and CEO of the Ontario Federation of Rental Housing Providers, basically a support and advocacy group for landlords, both big and small. 
when COVID first hit, you know, obviously the number one concern was what do we do to keep our residents and our employees safe? Tony says, like everyone else, landlords were not pandemic ready. And they were scrambling to come up with solutions around safety and communicating with their tenants about the pandemic. And let's make sure that if people are concerned about their housing, are you know, worried about what's going to happen, that we try to put them at ease and say, you know, we are in this together. We don't want anyone to be feeling like there's uh, their housing is at risk. Landlords have been offered deferred mortgage payments, but much like repayment plans for tenants, that means they're still on the hook for that money. They also have been offered reduced hydro rates and frozen property taxes in some parts of the province. But that's not everywhere or permanent. We, I did hear from and do hear from, uh, you know, from members and say, you know, we're trying to be as helpful to our tenants as we possibly can be, but we still have all the same, you know, expenses that we had before. I pulled Tony back to the question of evictions. And he says despite the difficulty, from what he's heard from his members... Evicting people is not the route many are taking. I hear much more uh, from many more members about not engaging in that, not, not doing that. You know, do what we are, uh, we're doing on our own anyway, but then have been mandated by government to do, which is offer repayment plans, work with residents on those. But it doesn't mean that there aren't still some, uh, some landlords who are, uh, you know, engaging in the process that, uh, that is available for them uh, if they feel like that's the route they need to take. Tony also realizes there's a larger issue here. Sometimes rent repayment just isn't realistic. I think there is a broader conversation around what happens ultimately in those circumstances. Uh, When you have, you know, some residents who have in Toronto where rents are higher, might have arrears of $16,000, dollars $20,000. We know now, if we didn't already, we're we're in for some, uh, some tough times for a while yet. So what will happen ultimately with some of those circumstances and, uh, you know, residents who, you know, who are maintaining a payment plan, but it's you know, relatively small compared to their, their overall rent and those arrears are growing each month. I tell Tony about how the people I've been speaking with are struggling and share with him what Zenat and Carly say about how every other business in this economy is taking a hit. So why shouldn't landlords? We recognize that compared to other industries that have been wiped off the map, Uh, We are, you know, in far better shape than many others. He walks me through the numbers, showing that landlords in general are doing pretty well across Ontario, considering how the rest of the economy has been decimated. About 93% of residents have been able to pay their rent in full, um, you know, over the course of the pandemic. So uh, leaving about, you know, 7% who have not. And of that 7%, you can further break it down into, you know, those who have been able to pay some versus those who have not been able to pay any at all. Tony says when you take partial rent repayment into consideration, it's about 4% of people who are not making rent. And he says that number in non-pandemic times is usually closer to 1% or 2%. So an additional 2% of tenants who aren't making their rent during the worst economic downturn we've seen since the Great Depression. But that number is still significant. But as Tony points out, there are still people behind those percentage points. A lot of people. That still translates to approximately 100,000 rental housing uh, units, individuals, families, who are not able to pay their rent or not able to pay their rent in full. Nonetheless, over 90% of people who rent their homes across Ontario are paying their rent, whether they can afford it or not. And landlords are pretty much keeping up with regular profits. 
And Tony's clear. His members could shoulder a bit of this burden. While some of their tenants, who may have seen a 40, 60, 100% loss in their income, cannot. I wrote a letter to the Minister of Housing, uh, Steve Clark, early on in the pandemic, just where I initially sort of floated the idea of a rental assistance program. So Tony wrote the Housing Minister of Ontario last spring, and he also wrote him again in October, asking for a program where tenants, landlords and government could share the burden of rent arrears, piling up on tenants. Something that might look like tenants and landlords each paying a quarter of rent arrears and the government paying the rest. For us, that is a conversation you know, that we've, we continue to have with government. Tony says there's no solid plan, as far as he can tell, for making this happen. But it's not, uh, you know, the conversations are ongoing uh, with the province around that. And they're very, you know, interested in our understanding from us what we're seeing, what's happening. Is there, are there changes to uh, sort of the data or changes to what we're seeing from our members? And we continue to report that. I asked Tony what he thought his members' stance was on negotiating with tenants collectively. Well, I, I guess just to be, to be very direct about it, it's not something that I, I don't believe it's something that our members do, and I, I don't believe it's something that they're, uh, that they're interested in, in, in undertaking, especially when crawl reactivity to that are, are sort of as, as aggressive uh, uh, protesting in ways that I don't believe is, is really uh, consistent uh, with wanting to, you know, uh, have thoughtful discussions about things. They don't mm-hmm. sort of go together. You know, we know that this is a very stressful time and we just are continuing to do all we can to be uh, as uh, compassionate and understanding and we need to continue to work together as best we can to get to a better place. I reached out to the government of Ontario to ask them what they thought of Tony's suggestion. And their response to that question was to tell me that the provincial government has frozen rent for 2021 and there'll be no more regular rent increases. They also say renters can access money from rent banks, managed by municipalities. Basically, loans to pay rent. So, sort of similar to a repayment plan. But nothing was mentioned about rent relief. So, where have the months of advocacy, negotiations, and fear left these tenants? I called up Kadir about a month after we last spoke. Well, I just moved from there. Oh, you already moved? Yeah, I already moved from there. One of my friends place, so I moved from there. Kadir and his family had left their apartment in Crescent Town, knowing it was impossible to keep up with their rent. He seemed pretty upbeat about it, relieved to not be constantly worried about being forced out of his place. He was pretty lucky. His friend offered him a spot in a house nearby. Two bedrooms for him, his wife, and three kids. And uh, there's a lot more cheaper rent. He's still on the hook for the rent that he didn't pay. He's hoping something eventually will come through with rent relief. He can give us some relief and I can start paying that. But he says if not, he'll find a way to pay it. Oh, and his baby and family are doing fine. His little bambina getting bigger. Yeah, that's good. As for Carly and Zenat, they both are paying their rent now along with a bit of their arrears. It's a repayment plan that they worked out for themselves. Nothing official with the landlord. But work is still very precarious. I'm applying for a job almost every day. Every week I'm applying, you know, three, four uh, 
offices or, or somewhere, you know, but where? I'm not getting job. Zenat still has part-time work at McDonald's, but only about 10 hours a week. For now, both Carly and Zenat are still waiting for their hearings, weathering a lockdown, which also came with a new eviction moratorium. I called Carly up when the moratorium was announced in January. And though she was happy people wouldn't be evicted in the near future because of the moratorium, she knows her rent is still going to pile up. I cannot tell you, it's such a stressful amount of uncertainty to live with when we're already, you know, the pandemic itself just creates massive uncertainty. When are things going to go back to normal? Are they ever going to go back to normal? The thing I keep hearing again and again from my neighbors is that this does not solve the problem. They want a real solution. Like they want something to take this dilemma off their minds. She worries the worst of this hasn't even been seen yet. Then when people start defaulting on their repayment plans, which she also says is inevitable with so many still out of work, that evictions will really spike. Meanwhile, inside these buildings, the WhatsApp chats continue. Their almost weekly union meetings have become a bright spot of connection and support. When it feels like the uncertainty becomes overwhelming, they talk, they plan, they feel heard. For now, that's all they can do. And it turns out, that's a lot. I didn't ever uh, knew so many people uh, from that time. But during this uh, pandemic, from last year, now on, we, I know so many. Now we have many friends, many well-wishers, many like uh, on my hearing day, in same floor, one uh, family, they came, you know, uh, they're saying, don't worry, if anything happened, uh, you can come with us. So they're so kind. I, there's a family who, you know, I've become great friends with, and I remember speaking to them, and they were saying before COVID, they knew the names of zero people in this building, and they'd lived there 12 years. When I uh, came down in the lobby, I, I see many people. Hi, hello, hey, how are you? So this is, uh, the culture has changed, you know. The culture has changed. That's the uh, very interesting. And so there's something about East York tenants and people who live here really needing each other to survive and can only rely on each other because who else is going to be there for you? Like that's, that's both the reality right here in COVID versus the landlord, but I think it's a reality that a lot of people were feeling every single day. There's so many good things that are happening and it's all based on union platform. Yeah, we're all still here together. Zina Jahan and Carly Tisdall. That doc was produced by me with the support of the whole doc project team. Now, there's a lot that's still moving with this story. And I wanted to give you a few small updates. Just last week, SEMA and the Community Justice Collective argued to have the eviction cases for the tenants from the tenant unions heard collectively at the LTB. 
it was decided that hearings will move forward together for all the common issues. And then there'll be separate hearings for individualized issues. The eviction hearing dates for Carly and Zenat should be coming up in the next month or so, but there are no fixed dates yet. And while the eviction moratorium has been lifted in some parts of the province, it remains in place in Toronto, while the stay-at-home order is in place, which means no evictions will be enforced until that is lifted. Oh, and I did want to let you know a bit of news I found out. As of March, Zenat's youngest daughter is coming to Canada. Yeah, she uh, she booked her flight on uh, March 10. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> this is good, very good news for me. <laughs> oh, you must be so excited. Mm, yeah. <laughs> How long since you've seen her in person? Oh... Uh, Two, uh, three years. Oh, Zina. <laughs> three years, you know, and sometimes, oh my God, it, it's sometimes I, oh, I, I think of, I could wish, I wish I could hug my uh, daughter very tight. Mm. This is a bonding, right? You cannot, oh my God, you cannot compare anything in the world mom and kid. It's very complicated still, but that's the plan for now, she tells me. That's all for us this week. Next Sunday, you'll have to survive another week AC-less. She'll still be on her much-deserved break. The Doc Project is produced by Alison Cook, Tanera McLean, Veronica Simmons, Sherry Okeke, and me. Althea Manassan is our digital producer, with thanks this week to Jonathan Orr. Our senior producer is Jennifer Warren. Our executive producer is Joan Melanson. I'm Julia Poggle. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.